3: the playoffs better at boston pizza because we've optimized our sports bar experience by studying in-depth fanalytics starting with our new bp wing ribs currently leading all apps in wings above replacement and deep fried pickle wedges an early favorite for the unanimous number one overall pickle and of course the advanced stats darling and leader in pints per game the new beer mosa catch the playoffs at boston pizza powered by fanalytics
2: Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey. Live every weekday at noon Eastern.
4: Everything was happening. Some fights that were for with people that we had no idea would even drop the gloves. Some controversial calls. And certainly some shocking comebacks when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs over the weekend. Welcome into Daily Face Off Live. Today is Monday, April 24th, and Daily Face Off Live is brought to you by our friends at Patano. Head on over to batano.ca. The game starts now at Batano. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Mike McKenna, how's your weekend?
3: Well, I'm not very used to having my adrenaline up from about early afternoon, clear through midnight. And that's what took place Saturday and Sunday with all the NHL action wall-to-wall. Frank, almost hard to keep track of it considering how much happened. It was pretty, pretty eventful, my friend. I'm sure you felt the same.
4: Yeah, I've also never really felt lazier, kind of like a 10 to 12 hour (laughs) couch run. But I'm like, as I'm sitting there like, hey, honey, I'm working. She's like, yeah, sure you are, okay. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's start with the Edmonton Oilers and their comeback against the Los Angeles Kings on Sunday night at Crypto.com Arena, trailing 3-0 at the end of the first period. They make a goaltending change, throw Jack Campbell into the net, and they come back. They score three goals to draw even. Then, after the LA Kings took a lead in uh, a 4-3 lead, Uh, Evander Kane gets the equalizer to send the game to overtime, where Zach Hyman has an incredible impact and scores to save what I believe is the Oilers' season. So, Mike, as you unpack it all and you look back at game four in L.A. for the Oilers, what was their season-saving moment? What part of the comeback did you really think stood out to you?
3: Well, there's, a, there's several, man. Anytime in a game like this, you're going to find some. But I really think that the save that Jack Campbell made in the third period with five minutes and 50 seconds left on Victor Arvidsson probably saved the season for the Edmonton Oilers. They were losing 4-3 to three at that point. It's a bad turnover in the neutral zone. Zach Hyman loses it on the boards. Here comes Arvidsson, who's red hot in the series. He's got, already got a goal and five assists. Coming in one-on-one on Campbell, he makes a great extended pad save. It keeps the game within reason. And less than three minutes later, Vander Kane goes the other direction to make it 4-4. Uh, also thought that Dreisaitl's goals were big moments, obviously the one late in the second period, but that saved by Campbell, Frank. I really think it not only kept Edmonton in the game, but I think it gave him a big juice, of ener- big shot of energy and uh, got him a chance to go down and tie the game, and get it to overtime.
4: Yeah, and if you want a mind blowing stat, how about this one that Leon Dreisaitl has been on the ice for all 14 goals that the Oilers have scored in this series. It's, uh, it's mind-numbing to even think about, but um, for me, I think the season-saving moment was Evander Kane's goal, and maybe that sounds too obvious to some, but the fact that Kane was able to score yet again against the Los Angeles Kings' 15th goal uh, against the Kings in the last number of years, which is an incredible total, it's one thing to spend all of that energy coming back and erasing the deficit. You finally get to level ground, then the Kings take the lead again. If you don't find an answer for that and the Kings are able to win in regulation and take that three-to-one series lead, none of what happened means anything. The dry goal doesn't mean anything. The Campbell save really means nothing in the grand scheme. And the Oilers are battling for their lives. I thought Kane... Given the fact that he was clearly hobbled, uh, you saw a few shifts prior to that. He comes off the ice limping and wincing. Huge moment in the game to get one back. And it just, what I loved about it was the Kane celebration too. There really was none. Just stood there, not even a smile. Workmanlike fashion in the sense that, hey, we're good enough to come back. Doesn't matter what the score is. We've got the firepower and the guns to be able to do it. And I thought that was a huge message for the Oilers to send in a moment where it would have been really natural to be nervous considering what they were staring down.
3: Yeah, I agree with you, man. And it's it is that business like aspect that you see now, right? I mean, in Kane's past sometimes, you think you would go crazy with that Sally, but nope, 4-4 business still got work to do, carried it into overtime.
4: Yeah, totally different feel and vibe than last year. Even though the Oilers have been in similar trouble against the LA Kings in back-to-back years. You think back to the celebration that Kane had on the bench that Connor McDavid said last year is like no 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 we don't, we don't do that so a different feel this time around for Vander Kane as I mentioned 15 goals against the Kings in the last number of years that's the most in the NHL. Uh, let's talk about the Minnesota Wild and Dallas Stars. Speaking of controversy, whew, uh, tough night for uh, Garrett Rank and Chris Lee. That you know you look at the officiating and. Marcus Fellino ends up with both. Uh, penalty, he ends up in the box for both goals that are scored uh, on really questionable calls. The first one, uh, you know, being just a, a hit along the boards that was called interference. Uh, the defenseman there clearly touched the puck uh, from Dallas in just the seconds prior and, and appeared to be kind of ducking out of the way. So Fellino gets the interference call there. And then later, uh, pursuing a check, he gets essentially cross checked in the face and goes down and then gets called for tripping don't understand either call, but certainly understand the frustration from the Minnesota wild. What did Marcus Foligno do to deserve all these calls? Who did he hurt Mike heading into the series to, to get to this point?
3: Yeah. whose Cheerios do you take a leak in? Right? Like I don't really understand it either because both of the penalties that Foligno took, like you say, one was for interference, one was for tripping. Neither of those were calls or should have been calls. Like Felino laid clean hits in both instances. And, and one of them, he was actually the aggrieved party as um, as Marchman hits him in the face as he goes to make the hit. So listen, I can usually pawn this off on the referee being not in the, having a great view of it or maybe saw something different. These were just two blown calls. Um, but ultimately, man, what, is it, what does it matter? Like the, the Wild had all the chances in the world to win that game. So I do understand Felino being mad. And what I can't understand is like, he is one of their main drivers of physical play frank it almost makes it feel like there is at least something coming from the league that says hey we got to keep our eye on certain guys that we know hit well why he didn't do anything wrong in those instances so uh, i didn't like either call i really didn't like the fact though that the wild couldn't score because that's on them they had opportunities to do it then ryan hartman gets tossed for yelling at the referees and there's still three and a half minutes left to play in a 3-1 game like you kind of hold your head together, man, especially if you're trying to get your you're number one center right now. Like they need you. Yeah. So plenty of blame to go and around there.
4: Jake Ottinger slams the door shut as well for the Dallas Stars. Incredibly strong performance for the Minnesota native with his family in attendance. So to put a bow on the officiating conversation, there's been no hotter topic, Mike, in the Stanley Cup playoffs so far than that one is the officiating actually where I can't, I can't, I don't know how to answer this question myself. Is the officiating actually worse this year, or is it the same as in all the years past and we're just sort of being reminded again?
3: I think we just hyper-analyze everything and it's tough because these were two clearly wrong calls, Frank. So I think it's one access to information on it too, but it's also reefs a fever pitch. It's just, my question is what's the solution? You know, like we all want to yeah. complain all we want, but how do you fix it? Like you can't just go get different refs, man. These are the best in the world at what they do. So I don't think there's a real clean cut answer other than score more goals than the other team. Play the ball as it lies. You got to deal with the refs.
4: Yeah. I tend to lean on the fact though, that I, not the fact, it's my opinion. I think it is worse this year than in previous years. It just feels like the volume, look, you're going to get calls wrong all the time, but it feels like every night, every team in the league is complaining about something. And when every team is, then I feel like there's a bigger problem, but I think you're right. There is no easy solution. So speaking of where officiating has been talked about, obviously uh, Sheldon Keith and the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, laying it on pretty thick over the weekend, essentially saying that the, the Tampa Bay Lightning have done a really good job of working the officials in this series. I don't know if I buy into that by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm actually more drawn, Mike, to some other comments that Keith made as the T- Toronto Maple Leafs uh, pulled out an enormous uh, come-from-behind win in a game that they probably should not have won in Tampa on Saturday night. And that was Sheldon Keith saying, this was a game that in past years we probably would have lost. I don't know if I agree with that in the sense, Mike, that I think the game that the Leafs have lost the common thread that goes back to their last number of first-round exits, all six of them, is this game tonight. The chance to put a skate to the throat of your opponent, to take a 3-1 to series lead in their building in Game 4, instead of coming back tied 2-2 to Toronto, the chance to have a commanding series lead, that's the game that the Toronto Maple Leafs have lost just about every time. How do they fix it this time around?
3: Well, I think you're right about that in terms of this game, because there has been a choke point for the Maple Leafs in these first round series. Time and time again, when they've had that opportunity to take a commanding lead, it doesn't happen. Now, here's the difference for me is that I think that there's signs and symptoms that we saw in game three that can be carried over to game four. And like you say, like the Leafs weren't the better team in game three, okay? Okay. I don't think they were I don't think the Lightning were manipulating the refs like Sheldon Keefe has uh has said. I, I agree with John Cooper in some of his comments saying we wouldn't have lost our best players for a power play if we thought something else was going on. I do think though that the Maple Leafs did absolutely everything they could to make this team as resilient mentally as possible on the ice. And you look at the players that they brought in to do that, when you add a player like a with a Ryan O'Reilly with a Con Smythe, and Noah who plays hard, and you've got Shen on the back end and McCabe. Like You've got these guys that can play in hard type of situations for me, not just physically, but mentally. And I think it's up that quotient. So I think the Leafs have a better chance tomorrow, tonight of doing what they need to do. It's not a guarantee, but they're in a better position because all those ads that they made at the deadline, they picked up players that had grit, that had at least knowledge of what this is like before and have that in them. I don't think the Leafs had that previously.
4: Yeah, I think they have an element that they were previously missing, and you see that in full display in Tampa when Ryan O'Reilly scores with a minute left to force overtime. Yep. That's the killer that you've needed for this team. He's there. I don't think he can do it all by himself. He needs you know, someone else to step up alongside of. You've seen flashes of that from Mitch Barner in this series, who I think has been excellent. I think you could still get more from some others, including Austin Matthews. So uh, let's see what the Toronto Maple Leafs have up their sleeve for a pivotal Game 4 on Monday night. Let's talk about the Seattle Kraken and the Colorado Avalanche. It was an awesome scene in Seattle at Climate Pledge Arena as they play their first ever uh, home game in the Stanley Cup playoffs in Seattle. Uh, loved to see it. Uh, the, the atmosphere was electric. And they got off to a good start. Look, uh, they had an early lead again against the Colorado Avalanche. And the Abs really just found a way to take control after that. So my question to you, Mike, is have the Seattle Kraken thrown their best punch? Are they out of gas? And do you firmly believe that the Colorado Avalanche now are in the driver's seat?
3: Well, I don't think the Seattle Kraken have thrown the last punch here Frank at all I think this is a team that is going to skate and play their game until the very end I just don't think they're as good as the avalanche like when it just comes down to the star power the finishing ability like it's there for Colorado look at their top scorers in the series I mean it's it's your expected players it's Miko Ranton and McKinnon's got a couple goals okay like all their big dogs are on the board where's Seattle right now who can they turn to right Burakovsky's not there like It feels like in both of the last two games that Seattle's allowed a sleeping giant to wake up in Colorado and to take over the game. And again, when it's McKinnon, when it's Rantanen, it's tough to get past that. Um, I do think, though, the saving grace for Seattle is, hey, those first two games, Philip Grubauer played really well. I don't think he was bad in that game three either. So I don't think they're done. I think Seattle's still going to steal another game, Frank. But bottom line, Colorado's a better team. And when you give them room to breathe, you give them a couple power plays to get going, makes things easier on them.
4: Speaking of room to breathe, the, the Kraken essentially have have hit them, you know, in the face with a two by four to start every game. They've been the better team to start, it feels like. So what do you make of the idea that the Avs have just had a bunch of really poor starts in a row?
3: That's hard to say because you can never figure it out within the room. And that's always your big sticking point, Frank, is what's wrong with us right now. But I think it's not as much about Colorado doing anything wrong as it has been. First off, I think Seattle made have caught them a little bit off guard in the first two games, but coming back into climate Pledge arena, no doubt Seattle had some juice, man. I just think Colorado has a belief that they can get through whatever's thrown at them, right? Even when the Kraken are hitting, even when they're on top of them, Colorado just has that knowledge. They have that feeling. Uh, and that's where you see it, especially when, like I say, man, like when McKinnon starts to take over, it's like there's not much of an answer for it, and, and you can see that play out.
4: Yeah, how overwhelming is that for a, a Kraken team that's throwing the kitchen sink at the ABS and you know whatever? It's like basically whatever you throw at us, we're good. We're, we'll find a way to overcome yeah. it.
2: Well,
3: it's what it is. It's it's a good sign when you look back at the end of the season because Colorado's going to knock off Seattle and firmly confident in that. Uh, but when you look back and you realize you played a team. That's the defending stanley cup champions that hard in playoffs like the kraken have done so far that's a positive step for your franchise when you build on the regular season as well
4: yeah a lot of boxing metaphors in this chat but uh Feels like the Kraken have been punching above their weight class as well. So uh, certainly impressive stuff. Uh, Game four goes in Seattle on Monday night as well. Uh, Mike, that brings us to this week's edition of the Blue Paint. Let's dive in and talk goalies because there's been a number of interesting situations to develop. Mike, the blue paint this week is brought to us by our friends at Boston Pizza. No better place to watch the Stanley Cup playoffs than at your local Boston Pizza. Pizza flights, deep-fried pickle wedges, winged ribs, and beer mosas, all powered by Boston Pizza's new Fanalytics venue. Mike, so uh, certainly interesting that uh, Jack Campbell takes over for Stuart Skinner at the start of the second period of Game 4 in L.A. on Sunday night. Who would you start if you are Jay Woodcroft in game five on home ice?
3: Oh, it's such a tough question, Frank, because Jack Campbell came in and shut the door. He went 27 for 28 from the two periods that he played last night against the, against the Los Angeles Kings. And he looked good, man, made a couple of big saves. The problem is that Campbell's season was so up and down. And 15 times this year, he allowed four goals or more in a game. Like, it wasn't a great year for Campbell in any way. He did have a good stretch in January, but Skinner was so consistent. The problem is that I felt that Skinner has really only had one solid game so far in the playoffs, and that was game two, okay? Uh, game three kind of ended on a sour note and overtime, obviously, and then he lost three uh, in the first period of game four. So like, I- I'm torn here, but I think it's still Skinner's net. I would still go back to Skinner considering he was the guy that brought home the bacon this year and was consistent, man, at a nine one four. Like, if Edmonton plays good in front of Skinner, they should win. With Campbell, I can't always say that. Even though Campbell, in his career in the playoffs, has a 9-1-8 save percentage in 15 games played, I don't know if you can trust Campbell to come up with a big game. That's, in this stage, in today's world, where it is, it's a tough call for Jay Woodcroft, but I think Skinner's still going to be the guy, but the leash, for me, would be pretty short.
4: Yeah, I think Delisha's gotten shorter, but I would definitely go with Skinner. I think even though Campbell had made some big saves in some key moments, he still just looks a little bit shaky to me. So yeah. uh, I, I, would, I would certainly be going with Skinner, no doubt in my mind about that. It's just like a gut feel, gut reaction type thing. Uh, and Campbell's numbers over the entirety of the season, still an 888 save percentage. Uh, really interesting as well in New Jersey, um, Game 3, Devils-Rangers, Rookie Akira Schmid, he got the start over Vitek Vanacek and the devs responded with a two to one OT win at the Garden. So if you were Lindy Ruff, would you ride Schmid now? What would you do?
3: Yeah, I'm going Schmid. And you know what, Frank, though, on a personal level, I really don't like that. <laughs> okay, so I'm fighting here between two heads because what was the devil's problem last year? Couldn't get any goaltending. They go out, they they get Vitek Vanacek from the Caps give him a deal, give him, you know, 3.4 million bucks for the next couple of years. And he comes in, he stabilizes crease. And then you get to playoffs in the first two games. The Devils sucked in front of him. Like they didn't give him a chance to win those games. And I think Vanacek played okay. Not great. You got to watch the games here. Don't just look at the numbers. I know he allowed 10 goals in the first two games. I get that. But the problem is that you do look at the macro on Vanacek. Look at his career numbers in the playoffs. Okay, he's got an 841 save percentage in five playoff appearances. And when you're Lindy Ruff, you look at the side and you say, Schmidt, man, this guy's 6'5. He's physically imposing, but he didn't play a lot. That was the only hangup. Okay, he was 9'5 and 2 this year with a 9'22 save percentage. Schmidt was the best goalie for the Devils. It's just, again, he's two years removed from the USHL, Frank. So um, he ends up going 35 for 36. It's a huge game three performance. He does it head to head in MSG against Igor Shasturkin. I think this is Schmid's net, and you know what, Frank? I think it actually puts the Devils in a really good position if you think about it going forward, because Vanacek at 3.4, you got Schmid next year at 8.50. That's all looking good, but right now it's what matters, and I think Schmid's the guy that they've got a hot hand with and they should play him.
4: Yeah, what a story. As you mentioned, 22 years old, two calendar years ago, playing for the Sioux City Musketeers in the USHL. An incredible ascension to be thrown into the deep end of the NHL pool in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and he delivers only allowing one goal against the New York Rangers on Saturday. Let's talk about the Boston Bruins. I love Linus Olmark going after Matthew Kachuk. I'm sad that they didn't get to fight, although probably better off for uh, Linus Olmark. The Bruins have a commanding lead in the series. They've used the tandem all season long. Jeremy Swayman has seen plenty of action. Would you give Linus Olmark a rest in Game 5?
3: Nope, I wouldn't. I keep rolling Olmark out. Here's why. I mean, it's 3-1. In the series boston's up over florida you're coming back to home ice you've got the vezina winning goaltender okay come on folks we know it's going to be linus Olmark. there's there's no way around it with the season he had you can't rest him on home ice when you got a chance to close out a series when there's been rest okay and the only way you don't play Olmark is if he's either hurt or sick, incapacitated, can't even be on the bench because he's not going to be on the bench and watch Swayman play. Even though this was a tandem during the year, it was still a two-to-one two, two to one rotation, right? Olmark could play two, Swayman play one. And, and this has been consistent in Boston even over the past decade or so. You go back to Thomas and Rask or you go to Rask and Halak, the Bruins have always decided to ride one goaltender when it comes to playoff time. And I think part of that's probably... Um, It has to be the mindset of goalie coach Bob Asenza, who's been there this entire time, whether Bruce Cassidy or Jim Montgomery. Um, And I think that the reason, Frank, that they had the rotation in the regular season was because they had two goaltenders, but also because they wanted to have a rested goalie come playoff time. They have that in Olmark. So to me, as long as Olmark's healthy and he's ready to go, I think he's got the net. You're going to see him in the net Wednesday night.
4: Yeah. I disagree. Uh, I know that there's an additional day of rest here. I just I think at some point you have to go with Swayman, get him a little action. Uh, also, just in case you need him, like let's not forget here that Linus Olmark. Not to bring up any sort of uh, past career history, but he's a guy that really struggled to stay upright. And and to ask him to play this long of a stretch, again, I know there's days of rest built in. I would like to see Swayman get his feet wet a little bit, get some playoff experience under his belt, close out a game if need be. You know, if, if you end up dropping the game to Florida and you go back uh, down there, like then put Olmark back in the net. That's how I see it. Uh, also, not all that often you see a goaltender enter the series for the first time with three minutes left in the game because his partner got kicked out for trying to fight Uh, Matthew Kachuk. Uh, There's been so many things happening. Mike, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, what's been down has been up in terms of goaltending. You look at Andre Vasilevsky. He's given up the most goals against so far in the playoffs. Who's been the best goaltender so far through the first week of the Stanley Cup playoffs?
3: I think it's been Igor Shosturkin. It's an easy answer because his numbers are there, but it's also eye test. He's made some huge saves on the Devils, especially uh, when you get towards Game 3 uh game four now he's, he's making saves on the rush he's got a 950 save percentage he's been the guy for me he's allowed just one goal in regulation in each of the first three games
4: hmm. interesting uh love the goaltending talk on this week's edition of the blue paint which is powered by the fanalytics menu at boston pizza head on over to your local boston pizza the perfect place to watch all the playoff action <music> All right, Mike, time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hashtag ask DFO. And my question to you is, with two series so far knotted at two games apiece, with the potential for a few more to get there on Monday evening, how many game sevens will we see in the first round?
3: I only think two. I think Minnesota and Dallas will get there. Edmonton, L.A., they probably will th- both will as well. Um, I think Toronto's going to beat Tampa Bay in six games. I'm sticking to that one. So I got two. You got more or less than me.
4: No, I got two as well. I'm going to say uh, Minnesota and Dallas. I think that's an easy one. There's just been a razor-thin margin in that series, and I'm going to say Leafs and Lightning. I'm going to stick with my original uh, you know, pre-playoffs pick that that series goes to seven games. You uh, also have a couple teams in Boston and Carolina that are already on the brink of closing out the Islanders and the Panthers. Let's get to our daily face-off botano.ca daily bet segment with our guy, Gavin Turinic. He's filling in for Tyler Uremchuk, who's on his way back from Los Angeles, where he saw the Edmonton Oilers win a huge game for Gavin. Uh, welcome back to the show. How'd you do in your first day of bets? Gavin's muted there. God Gavin. Still muted. He looked like the guy's on the wild bench just shaking his head. No, 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 he no. couldn't
3: have done any worse than Tyler in the first day, so <laughs> Can you talk now? That whole bench on, that whole bench on Minnesota didn't know what to think.
4: <laughs> no, I got nothing from Gavin. You want to uh, – Alex, you want to flash up Gavin's uh, picks for the day?
3: Let's take a look at what Gavin's got cooking for us here.
4: Uh, Gavin's back. There he is. Yeah. Nice.
2: Oops. Oh, there he is. Hey, hey Gavin. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I don't know – We what got matching there, sweatshirts to boot. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I promise everyone, Tyler, will be back tomorrow, so you won't have those audio issues that I just showed. <laughs> but, no, let's just jump right into it. Um, no, I'm doing absolutely fantastic. What a week in a hockey with uh, half games, getting extra frame, and with the road teams going eight 0 no. So uh, with that success on the road, it will translate to my daily bets. Uh, but Canada, where the game starts now, and for uh, for tonight, for who, uh, who won't be in for the game is Josh Morrissey of the Winnipeg Jets. And with that, I just think uh, Vegas will be too much to handle with Morrissey out of the lineup. Uh, throughout the regular season, Morrissey missed four games. They just went two and two in that time, um, but obviously they didn't play the Vegas Golden Knights in that span, and Vegas has won five of the last six matchups against Winnipeg. And then also, what I like for tonight, I like uh, shot prop that I kind of cooked up here. If you could throw it up here, Alex. So for tonight, I like Nylander over three and a half shots. And then I like McKinnon over four and a half shots. You play them together, you get a rather nice plus 233. Nylander's coming off of a seven-point shot performance on Saturday. And Nylander's also hit this shot prop in uh, two of his last three games. And for McKinnon, man, he's putting the puck on net. He has hit this shot prop in three straight. And he's averaging just under seven shots per game during that span. So that's what I like today, Frank.
4: Love to see it, Gavin. To big plus money bets brought to us by our friends at Botano.ca. Thanks for filling in for Tyler, Gavin, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. That brings us to garbage time with our guy, Mike McKenna. Mike, what caught your attention? What caught your eye from around the hockey world?
3: Well, I'm about to catch a bunch of daggers from all the folks in Edmonton. When I say that, I hope the LA Kings make it all the way to the Stanley Cup finals at this point because I want to see what Will Farrell trots out for every other game the rest of the year check it out here in game three look at will farrell i apologize this was actually yeah this was game three he's got his face completely painted he's on the jumbotron he's in the building and then he backs it up by coming to the next game game four with a new face paint like he was on fire man like this has become a whole thing okay and i'm here for it I, i think it's the type of entertainment and engagement that we need And I even go back earlier in the year when Phoenix Copley, the goaltender for the Kings, was having a whole bromance with Farrell, like giving him high fives on the glass as he skates by when the Kings score. And I don't know, man. This stuff is the kind of stuff that just makes me smile. And I know people in Edmonton are very much going to disagree. I apologize. Uh, I like your team, too. But give me all the Will Farrell because who knows what else he can paint his face as
4: this also just transcends the game, right? Like a casual hockey fan or whatever, like everyone's paying attention to this. Everyone's talking about it, uh, which is awesome to see. I was always wondering though, is the face paint a way to just kind of blend into the crowd so that he doesn't sort of stand out (laughs) as Will Ferrell, or is it just part of the shtick?
3: Well, I don't know, man. He's probably got the red dragon out front. He just took the governor off. You know, he's ready to give it a rip. So we could go on with the quotes and we'll see. I just think it's, can you imagine just walking through like, (laughs) <laughs> walking through crypto Area and there goes wolf ferrell with his face painted and you're doing the triple take surreal man but that's la for you it happens in that building
4: that's exactly what i was just going to say that's what happens in la the edmonton oilers escaping of course with a two to two series lead wouldn't be sad at all to see that series go seven games that's how exciting just about every game has been to this point but that'll do it for today's edition of daily face off live Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the hockey world. We'll be back with you 12 noon Eastern on Tuesday. Until then, enjoy the games, everyone.
0: but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game and finally you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring will it be a barn burner in the first a shootout in the second or a nail biter in the third that's up to you to decide now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff for the daily winner's